Coming to you from the Sunshine State, this is Create Brand Envy, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and business owners discussing businesses, marketing, leadership, and best practices in this ever-changing business landscape. Every week, we'll introduce you to a different business leader that has taken their company to new heights despite the odds. Learn, engage, and thrive. This is Create Brand Envy. And now your host, president and CEO of Brand Envy, Nicole Alisea. I was turning on my microphone to record something else and suddenly this moment of inspiration just came upon me to do this show intro. And so I read the book by Elizabeth Gilbert about um, creativity. I can't remember the title, uh, but it was a very colorful cover and it was about, um, you know, being creative, whatever. So she described creativity like a butterfly that just comes fluttering along and lands on your shoulder and that you have the chance to either, you know, grab that inspiration and make it happen. Or if you don't do anything with it, the butterfly kind of takes off and goes to somebody else. The topic that I wanted to talk about in this intro has to do with communication and your relationship with other people making sure that any tiny transgression that is going on with your relationships, whether it be with family members, whether it be with people that you work with, people that you report to, people that report to you, it's very important that, and we do this all the time, you know, the person says something a little bit inflammatory and we bite our tongue. We don't say anything, but It's like this tiny little thing that stays inside your heart and you just kind of feel upset at them, but you don't say anything for whatever reason. You don't want to start a fight. You don't want to seem petty. Fill in the blank. You just hold that in. And then time goes on and something else is said and it hurts you or it upsets you. And again, you don't say anything. And then one day there's this straw that breaks the camel's back and you explode and you either write them an angry letter or you give them a piece of you and you say, I have had it. You are this and you are that and you never this and you always that. And that's of course, you know, in our personal relationships and then in our work relationship, you know, we explode, we say we quit or we say you're fired, um, et cetera. Um, The reason I wanted to bring this up is because I had, I've had some interactions lately where this, this topic keeps coming up and I just want to remind you that it's not good to do that. It is not good to hold it in because it ends up exploding and you end up damaging relationships and you just end up handling things very poorly. Um, And so it's just a good, I think, mental health and emotional maturity exercise to, you know, if somebody says something that you find a little bit inflammatory, or if they do something that, you know, it's just not, doesn't sit well with you, just isn't correct. Don't be apologetic. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't let these excuses, um, don't let these excuses that you come up with, uh, stop you from having an honest conversation with the person and just telling them, Hey, when you said that, it kind of hurt my feelings or, um, you know, geez, I, I kind of 
you know, it makes me wonder, you know, when, when you say or do this, it makes me wonder about da da da. So, you know, just feel free to bring these things up. Um, I am not a psychologist. I am not qualified to coach you on how to do this correctly. Um, coming up, fingers crossed, um, I will have a, a psychologist for business owners and entrepreneurs, like a therapist for business owners that specializes in business owners and entrepreneurs come up. We're also um, having a intellectual property attorney coming up. So um, please rely on some of the more qualified people, but just in general, from me to you, don't let little things get pent up in your heart because then you end up exploding. Uh, that ties into today's conversation with Lori Goldsmith from Heart of HR Shared Services. She's an HR generalist, an HR specialist um, that is very skilled at interviewing, um, you know, giving performance reviews, firing, hiring. And in a minute, you'll hear her expand a little bit more about this. But uh, she talks about how important it is when you have when you're managing an employee, how important it is that you keep a record, um, detailed records of things that you've brought up that they need to improve, um, no matter how difficult it is. So it really ties in. But I wanted to just kind of do a little intro reminding you just don't do that across the business and don't do that across your personal relationships because it never really ends well. There is a saying in Spanish, cuentas claras. Conservan amistades. Clear accounts conserve friendships. And that's a direct translation. I am sure that there is a um, similar saying in English, but that's all I know. That's all I got for you. Cuentas claras conservan amistades. Clear accounts conserve friendships. Um, and so with that, let's get into it. Now, on to today's interview. It is such a great pleasure to introduce to you Lori Goldsmith. She is the founder and owner of Heart of HR, HR Services, an HR company based out of Tampa, Florida. And she's an HR generalist that provides advisory services and professional services and professional assistance to small and medium-sized companies that where it doesn't make sense for them to hire a full-time HR person, but they still need help with the HR portion of their company. Lori, tell me a little bit about your history and how you fell into starting your own company. Well, uh, initially, um, I started out my career in logistics, and I was asked to go into HR just for the summer. And at that time, I couldn't think of a fate worse than death. <laughs> and the And my boss told me that they needed a warm body. And so how's that for an intro wow. in HR? And it was someone who they knew a year in advance was leaving for the summer and coming back. And she was on a special litigation project and that work needed to continue. And, and at that time, I mean, I don't know anything about HR. I don't care about HR. And, and the managers would come into this conference room where they had me set up, and, it, and um, I'm so shy. I would just raise my hand because I would hear what sounded like holes in their thought process. And I would say, hey, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? And so they never let me go back to logistics. <laughs> the but we, what's interesting about how you got thrown into it, a lot of bosses and owners and operators throw people into roles like that very haphazardly, you know, just kind of like we need a warm body. 
And one of the things that, you know, you've many business owners don't realize is hiring the right people, putting them in the right position is crucial to the success or failure of your business. So, you, you know, you kind of got thrown into it just the same way that a lot of people get thrown into a lot of positions. That's true. And the, and I really didn't start to learn about HR until I was thrown into it and, and fell in love with it because it's so right and left brained. And at the time I thought HR, all they did was put packets together because that's all I knew of HR. Mm -hmm. You know, they handed me my paperwork and, and I found out how crucial it is to uh, an organization and that it can make all the difference in the world between a successful company and a company that would fail. And what are the, all the different areas that an HR person, and again, you're a generalist, right? So it's kind of mm-hmm. like you think of your primary care doctor and there's a, you know, and there's a lot of different subspecialties, but as, as an HR generalist, you touch many different departments. Yes. So uh, there, you know, HR is, is the foundation I think of any any organization, and so uh, a lot of it is strategic planning. Uh, a lot of it is understanding what the organizational needs are, and what what are the training and development needs. What um, what are health, safety, security issues um, in the in the company, and. Uh, what are what is what? How are we compensating those employees? Are we in line with the marketplace and and making decisions of whether we want to lead the marketplace, be right in the middle, or mm-hmm. are we going to lag behind for some reason? And and sometimes there's good reasons for doing that. Yep. And and that all comes from HR. And I just want to point out, because she'll never brag about herself. Um, I've known Lori for many years. <laughs> Lori has taught me pretty much everything that I know about HR, because I agree when I would think of, you know, the HR lady at the companies that I worked for, all I, you know, it was like, if I needed to request time off, you know, if I, as an employee, you get a very one-sided view of it. So I think a lot, you know, a lot of business owners are former employees that decided to go off on their own. And then just like me, when they start Mm -hmm. their company and they realize, you know, man, I'm going to need a lot more help. They have no idea, you know, how to go about everything that needs to take place for them to set up their business. But I was going to brag a little bit about you. So you got thrown into your career. Um, you are, and since, you know, since you started, you, you got yourself certified as, and you still are certified as a senior professional in human resources. You are certified as a global professional in human resources by the human resources certification Institute You are also certified by the Society of Human Resources Management as a senior certified professional, and you are also certified as a connected leadership trainer. Yes. That's all very impressive. So I asked you to come on so that we could share best practices uh, when it comes to hiring in today's environment. And you started out talking about um, you know, we, we did a little bit of a planning. You started about uh, talking about don't use AI in hiring. And one of my first thoughts was, but AI has, you know, computers have been around in scanning resumes for a long time. You know, how, how is that relevant? Um, and so um, go ahead and explain to me what, what you explained about how it's coming to small businesses and the problems with it. 
First, I'll start off by saying I am a tech geek, and, and, and I am not against AI, but I am against AI as the sole use in hiring because you still need that human element. I think that is so critical. And AI is picking out resumes that have the right keywords, and you could be missing a tremendous candidate because the right keywords are not in the resume. There, I know um, the industry is working on it, but there are still many biases in HR, in, in AI. And for instance, um, if I'm looking for an engineer, mm -hmm. um, chances are AI is going to kick out resumes from men and not women. Which I find and, like, unbelievable. And it's, it, it's inherent and her because we were human and we have bias ourselves from our own experiences and how do you program something not to have it and I, I know that's being worked on but I think that has a long way to go and I don't want to see the human element not be in human resources I think it's it's so critical and it's it's a really difficult balance to strike uh, because you want to be as objective and factual as possible to be as fair as possible. But um, also that human element, I think by nature is, is biased and, you know, and it can be biased in a good way and it mm -hmm. can be biased in a bad way. And that's, I think, a, just a skill that you have to hone um, and just kind of practice and, you know, when people hire you, they're certainly leveraging those years of experience that, you know, that muscle that you've kind of trained to, to tell, um, what, what's that saying? The, the, the shaft from the wheat, just like when you're, when I would imagine somebody's programming the keywords, um, you know, it's kind of like you have to know what you're looking for specifically. Um, one of the biggest mistakes you say that people make is that they don't quite understand what it is that they need. Um, in a person to perform a certain role, kind of like how you were thrown into that role. And mm -hmm. it was just like, oh, figure it out. And you just happen to be naturally good at it. A lot of times people are thrown into the wrong role and they're really set up for failure. Um, how, how would you advise a business owner in sorting out what it is and identifying what is it that they truly need for different roles? And one of the first things I would say is that you work with someone who can do a proper job analysis for you. And um, early on in my career, when I worked in construction and the company that I was working for was incredibly employee centric and they were so good to the employees in many different ways and plus developmental opportunities and the turnover at that company was about 10% higher than the industry standard. And so I knew immediately going into the position something was wrong and I needed to look at that and what do we need to correct. And, and uh, the base level positions, they were recruiting saying that they needed a high school diploma, they needed to be able to do certain clerical tasks and, and doing a job analysis. The for that position, um, really, all they needed to do is be good with numbers, basic math, and be able to look at numbers because everything was filed by numbers. And beyond that, that was all that was needed. And you certainly can be great with numbers. You can even be great with math and not have a high school diploma. 
And so we changed how we were outreaching. We changed our job postings. And consequently, people stayed in their jobs. And it's not just with entry-level positions. I think a job analysis is important for all positions because there's there's different personality types and different personality types can perform well in different positions, but you also have to look at your company culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, and somebody might have the best skills, but they might not be the best suited for your particular needs because there's not a culture fit. And there's a difference between cultures and values. Yes. Because we, you know, in, in EOS, um, they train you to identify your core values and hire by the core values. But it's also important to make sure that there's a culture fit. Um, can you talk a little bit about how culture is created um, and, and what the difference is between culture and your actual values? So I would say that the core values of the company are the principles that the company live, eats, and dies by. Those are your guiding principles. And do you recommend that people that, that an employer hire people based on core values, make sure that they're aligned? Very much so. Okay. And uh, because if, if there's not a match in core values, then you're not, there's not going to be a match in the culture as well because culture does embody your core values, Mm -hmm. but culture is also your work environment. So some work environments could have the same core values, but the working environment's very different. So the, some environments are extremely fast paced and people multitask, Mm -hmm. but I could have the same core values in an environment where people work on one project at a time. Right. and have the time to do it. So very different scenarios. And um, who creates the culture? Is it leadership or is it a mosaic of all of the different people that you end up hiring and they kind of like co-create the culture? I think culture starts from the top down. It, it has to start from the top down. And um, an, an example of culture would be I walk into a company and I see everywhere signs Nobody's more important than our customer. Okay. And and then I'm sitting in the CEO's office and the CEO's assistant walks in and says, blank, you know, somebody's on the phone, blah, blah, blah. And the CEO's response or CEO's response is, I don't have time to talk to them right now. I don't want to talk to them or something like that. Well, that goes against every sign I've just walked past. Okay. So as an employee, what am I supposed to think? And so culture starts from leadership. Culture cannot evolve without leadership. It's a top-down thing, always. I can be very ethical, but if my boss is not, then I'm doing unethical things. If I'm following orders. Yep. And so it's definitely something that is coming from the top-down. Culture is very hard to maintain, um, I think, especially when you're trying to change culture. You know that, that little saying, like the when, the when the cat is out, the mouse come out to play yes. or something like that. Um, you know, people can behave a certain way when the boss is there and when the boss is kind of like, you know, implementing the energy and sharing the energy and kind of rah, 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 rah. But then as soon as the boss leaves the office, 
then the um, the ambiance changes. And in a very strong culture, that should not happen. So, yes, like you said, the cat's away, the mice will play kind of thing. However, in a really strong culture with really strong leadership and strong values, that's not going to make a difference whether the boss is there or not. The boss can leave and know everything is functioning properly. How, how does how and, does a boss achieve that? And it's not something that happens overnight. Now, I work for a company where we were seven years into a team build, and and we had an amazing team. And um, and like you said earlier, it takes time to build culture. It can be destroyed in an instant. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and so it's something that has to be worked out all the time. It has to be kept in front of employees. Leadership has to model the core values of the company. Every employee should know what the core values are, what are their guiding principles in this environment. If And if we're not nurturing it every day, things are going to creep in and they'll pick away at it. And, and, so it's something that always we, we just always have to be aware of it and always, always look at it. And I think strong leaders, I mean, a- anybody can have a bad day and do something that might be out of character or out of protocol with that environment that they're trying to establish. And I think that's a perfect time for a leader to be vulnerable and say to their team, hey, I'm really sorry, you know, I was really, my mind was on something else or, or whatever the case may be. But I think it's really important for employees to also know leadership are also made of human beings and things can happen, And but you take ownership for your actions. And, and if employees see that, they're going to take ownership also. Well, how would you describe the difference between leadership and management? Those get very confused Yes, they, they are not the same. So leadership has the vision of the organization, and they are the overall picture of that organization. Where, where are we taking this company to? Management carries out the tasks underneath that leadership vision to make that vision happen. And although to a certain extent, I think managers also have to be leaders Mm -hmm. and it's not a finite thing. Um, You also have to be leaders and understand how the things take time. So you can't change a culture overnight. You have to just keep building it and hiring the right people and putting those right people in the right places. Would you say management is more metrics-oriented, more performance-oriented? On a daily basis, yes. Uh, Managers are more performance-oriented, and they have that day-to-day contact with the employee where leadership necessarily does not. One of the things that we talked about is how important it is to document things correctly, give feedback correctly. That's that's on a management level, Mm -hmm. right, with person. Yes. Even though we're in a at will work state and some many states are like that, right? And so at will means I can I can fire you for any reason. I don't like the way you sneeze or cough, I can go ahead and fire you. Um there's still so it's it's not that straightforward. 
And so you had discussed how important it is that people document things that leadership, uh, right, management document th things correctly. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes. I, I think at will is probably one of the most misunderstood terms. And, and most states are, are at will states. And at will means I can hire you, I can fire you for a good reason, no reason, a bad reason, a poor reason. I just can't violate public policy. And that's where things get murky. And where documentation comes in at, generally our supervisors are very reluctant to tell someone when they aren't doing something right. And, and when that happens, we're really doing a disservice to our company and to the employee because if we're not coaching properly, then an employee is going to think what I'm doing is fine. Mm -hmm. and, and, and generally, we will see documentation about how wonderful the person is and their performance reviews are always glowing. And then one day, there's that straw that breaks the camel's back. Supervisor fires the employee and the employee shows 10 years of excellent history. Well, they must have fired me because I'm in a protected class. Then you can't prove it. If, if you've been a great employee all of these years, all of this time, and you suddenly get booted out, well, it must be because I'm, uh, they, uh, I, they don't like my ethnicity, they don't like my age, they don't like my gender, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it, will, it will look like they were terminated because they were in a protected class. Why do you think it's difficult for some managers to, first of all, I think that has to be like, you know, um, you have to be, in order to be in the right position as a manager, you have to be comfortable giving feedback. But why do you think it's difficult uh, for managers to correct their employees and give that kind of negative feedback? I think because they've never been taught to give feedback. And a lot of times, if you, uh, if you look at organizations, they promote people because they were so good at their job. Mm -hmm. Well, their job did not entail managing people. They were doing their job, and they're excellent at it. And if we haven't taught them now how to be an excellent manager or a supervisor, then we're doing them a disservice, too, because they don't know, and they're going to be really reluctant. And and, and especially in a small company, you put somebody uh, into a supervisory position, and chances are they are now the boss of their best friend. Mm -hmm. And it, it becomes really difficult to separate those lines, and most oftentimes they don't because they don't know how. We haven't taught them. What is a good just basic formula for giving criticism or areas that need to be improved? I, I think in general, one, we never want to attack the person personally, and we want to look at the behavior that needs to be changed in some way or modified in some way. And um, if, if I am... The receptionist at a company, mm -hmm. and it's my duty to open mm -hmm. that organization. Well, I could be the best receptionist in the world, and everybody be, may love me, but what if I don't get to the office on time? Right. I'm never getting to the office on time, and I never get called out on it. Or I'm not and, answering the phone when people are calling. I'm just not exactly. answering. I'm, I'm not at my desk. Right. 
exactly. And so um, we have to get comfortable with saying, hey, you know, you're, you're doing this great. I worked for an organization one time and where I had two receptionists on my HR floor, and they were both wonderful. Everybody loved them. Everybody. And one night I got a call at 10 o'clock at night. The oh so one, you know, of course, nobody ever calls an HR person 10 o'clock at night to say, how are you doing? I was going to say, something, something must be going down real bad. Exactly. <laughs> and my one receptionist told me that she felt physically threatened by the other one. And I'm like, okay, I'm wide awake and listening. And I'm sorting through this. And I, I realized there really wasn't a direct physical threat, but obviously there's a huge problem brewing that I need Half to meow. yeah, get take care of. And ultimately, I ended up speaking with both of them, and then I took the two of them together and told them together that they are both excellent, and if they could not figure out a way to work together, then I was going to terminate both of them because it was too detrimental to the organization. And, and then I never let my guard down. And it was really good for about five years. And, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden I started to see that brewing again. But by now we're getting automated switchboards and, you know, the, those kinds of things. And, um, and I was saved by the bell in that case because uh, my one employee's um, husband was transferred. So she moved. Yeah. What if I had never talked to them? What if I had ignored that comment? What if I just said, you go figure it out? And so it's, and it's not always easy to tell people something negative. We, we, we as humans have that instinct not mm-hmm. to want to do that. I never attacked. And some people are intimidating. Some people can be intimidating. And, you know, and I didn't attack them personally. I didn't say, this is wrong. You're wrong. You know, I'm like, this we need to take a look at this situation and we need to get to the bottom of it. And, but that was a pretty serious accusation. And, you know, many times you hear employees have gone to their manager or even HR and with issues and they're ignored. We can't ignore it. We have to learn. And, and, and it's, it's, I think in some cases, if you're really comfortable with it, it you know, it might be you're not really in actively engaged either, and and you have to be. And, and I think a little bit of discomfort is okay, but we have to overcome it, and and we have to overcome it in a way where it's well received by the employee. We want to get the point across. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that the it was the one felt physically threatened by the right. other one, like as in. As in, she said she was going to hit me? Yeah. And and there was never really a direct threat made. There was just this growing tension. There was a growing jealousy. They, they were both excellent. And I, I there was just something that brewed where they both kind of felt that they should have the job themselves and not have a partner. And, and it was, and, and that wasn't going to happen. I'm really surprised that they were able to make it work for five years. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I also, of course, I never let my guard down. I was obviously they've been brewing for a while and I had not seen signs of it. So I was doing a lot of 
self-reflecting also. But I kept my eye on things, and they knew I was keeping an eye on them as well. And people do behave differently when they know they're being watched, which is okay. I just didn't want anything to evolve in it. It could have. It could have escalated to a yeah, I mean, situation. if it was a, if it was like a real threat, mm-hmm. and I mean, I think the key is that you determined that it wasn't a real threat. Right. That it was kind of like a, just a little misunderstanding, mm-hmm. which you know that that's such a tough call to make. Yes. You know, so bra- bravo to you for being able to discern what was what. Um, but yeah, whenever there's any kind of like physical, personal altercation between two people, like immediately it's kind of like, well, you got to get rid of the aggressive one because <laughs> that's just not acceptable right. behavior. Not not only that, but it, unfortunately nowadays that's kind of dangerous when you look at like the mass shootings mm-hmm. and all these like cases, there's always documentation that other people knew about it, that some kind of comment was made mm-hmm. and it was ignored. Right. So, so the, you know, again, I mean, that's an unusual case, but, um, so in conclusion, in terms of like how to give negative feedback to somebody, um, you you just have to f- be comfortable being uncomfortable, telling them about it, being factual about it. And I think a big takeaway of that story was you, you told them you either you either simmer down or you're both getting fired. Right. And then you, again, followed through. Right. Con- just like a parent. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be consistent. <laughs> you stay on top of them, watching them like a hawk. So they knew at this point, any little slip up, you know, either them or the other or both were just going to get booted and they believed you. Yes. And so, and I'm sure it's the same thing with, you know, with leadership in general, I keep saying leadership, but I think in this capacity, I feel like it's more management. Um, They have to be consistent. And if they say they're going to do something, they have to do it and they have to maintain Mm -hmm. that, um, that faithfulness to their word. Otherwise um, the employees won't really take them seriously. And I think that's when culture starts to break down mm-hmm. a little bit because yes. there isn't that consistency across the board. Uh, the next thing you told me was, you know, a lot, big mistake people make is that they hire friends and family um, or kids of your associates. And that's very natural in a startup setting. Cause it's just kind of like, you know, you're starting out and well, who do you start your business with? Well, your spouse or your best friend. And then as your business grows, um, that becomes problematic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So oftentimes what I see with small businesses, when they have a position open, you know, well-meaning people, my nephew, my son, my daughter, my aunt, you know, every, you know, it happened to me just, the other day, my sister, and, I'll send you my sister. And <laughs> they don't really understand what those business needs are. They just know they need somebody to fill that role. They need somebody like to yesterday, fill that role. And, and one of the worst things we can ever do is hire out of desperation. And, and then it also goes back to what our needs are and, and, and usually it's very difficult to tell somebody that you're really close to that I don't think your son or your daughter or whoever it may be is right for my company. That's hard. That, that's, that's a hard situation to be in. And, and generally, you know, when we do start a business, we've started our business because we have a passion about something. And then it grows and we have people and the game changes. And, and things that you never thought about now are suddenly 
you Very have important. to you yeah. have to work through and so you start with that you may not you yourself may not have or have identified in most cases we haven't identified what our true needs are mm-hmm. and what skill sets do we need and and so we haven't made that proper ide- identification and and then if we are interviewing someone who is not a family or a friend and we are interviewing someone the next biggest mistake we make is we talk too much we we the interviewer the interviewer talks way too much we'll start out telling them exactly what the job is from soup to nuts well, then the answers you're going to get are what in my world we call cultural noise because now they know exactly what you're looking for, what the job entails, and everything they're going to speak to is going to speak to that, mm-hmm. not necessarily who they are or what they would do. You know the mistake I've found myself making that uh, that when I do it, I'm, I'm always like, what the hell is wrong with me? It, not to sound like, you know, <laughs> mean to myself, but I'm just always like, um, I guess I'm a natural salesperson and I found myself selling them a job, trying to convince them what a great opportunity this is. And then I go, that's probably coming off as big red flags to them, even though like, no, that's just me being me, Mm -hmm. you know, dumb, dumb, you know, really anyways. But yeah, so yes, we talk too much. So it's better to ask questions during the interview process and listen. We need to ask questions. We need to ask open-ended questions and we should never ask a hypothetical question. Why not? And because, again, you're going to get cultural noise. So if we give somebody a hypothetical question, they already know the answer that we're looking for. So a good example of that is a, a common question I hear that people ask all the time is, what if you saw a, a, a coworker falsifying their time card? What would you do? And you're always going to get the answer. I would immediately tell my supervisor, well, if if it becomes reality and they really do witness that, the chances are very slim that they're actually going to tell. We want to ask questions and open-ended questions about things they've done. So you can ask a question, have you ever seen a coworker do something unethical? What was it? What did you do? And But don't ask, what would you do if? Right. Because they haven't experienced it, and we want to get to the heart of the matter, and what did they actually do? What actions did they take? And when we are questioning um, our candidates, so at, um, we may say, um, we want to get at, you know, are they a fit for us? So I'm, I'm very much a macro person. Uh, but what if you're a micro person? And so we we're, we're, we both need the same candidate, the same skill. And But I asked the, the candidate in the interview, um, if I'm giving you something new to do, what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer just getting some basic information and taking the ball and running with it and coming back and say, am I on track? Or are you the type of person who wants a lot of information up front before you start. Same skill set. However, me as a macro manager is going to want that person who can take basic instruction and take the ball and run with it. And if you're the micro person, you're going to want the person that says, 
No, I need a lot of detail up front, and then I can take the ball and run with it. Wow, I never thought about that, but that's true. I get I get aggravated when I'm asked for to, to spell it out for the person. It's just kind of like just focus on the end goal, right? Like, do it however you want, right? Care. Um, but I can see how other roles and and that's a personality type, and and there's so there's not a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. And one of my first positions um, after college, I it was a huge company, and my I didn't know this, but my manager went to the VP to complain about me to say I did not need to be micromanaged. And it was interesting. And she was a new manager for the company, and they did not have a history of hiring outside the company, but they did in this case. And she was really a micromanager, and this company did not want micromanagers in management. And of course, you know, I don't know any of this at that time, but the, and I was quickly transferred to another department. I was none the wiser, and I was happy. And, uh, but the VP knew I never would have stayed in an environment where I was being micromanaged. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things, one of the reasons they hired me. Are there people that like to be micromanaged? I haven't met there, somebody. Um, I mean, usually for very low level, and sometimes, low IQ. Yeah, sometimes even in higher level positions too. Um, people, there are personality types that really like to know somebody is watching over them. They they might be really good at what they do, but they might not have a lot of confidence in their skills, even if they've been at the job for a long time. And they really and they really want clear instructions. They they, they need they, a lot of feedback. They need yes. that pat on the back all the time. Yeah, and 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 that's okay. And because there are a lot of managers that want employees. Right. On that their are team like that. that are like that. And so it's, the, and that's something that we can ferret out in the interview process mm-hmm. if we're asking the right questions. Yeah. And um, I keep thinking of the, the quote, if you take a horse, horse and you ask him to climb, climb up a tree, he's going to spend the rest of his life thinking that he's useless. Yes. And I think that's why it's important, like you said, that first piece of advice really know what the job mm-hmm. entails, what type of personality it entails. Um, I was having lunch with somebody yesterday and they are so deep. They're similar to me uh, in a way that they're just so detail oriented that every story that they told was just fleshed out with a ton of details that you technically weren't relevant to the story. But the what this person did as a profession requires that they be extremely detail oriented. Mm-hmm. And so it it's one of those things where like, you know, just even for yourself, if you're listening, you're thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really bad at this or I'm really bad at that or I have this bad habit. Chances are that that bad habit or that thing is actually what makes you really good at a certain profession, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that unique skill set. Yes. And so that's why it, it's just a little lovey-dovey PSA. You should always be proud of exactly who you are. Even if it's annoying to others, it is something that it's a skill set, it's a whole picture that actually makes you perfect for a certain role. And as you're hiring and sifting through people, um, what I've learned is, you know, you can teach skill. And you taught me the difference between hard skills and soft skills. One of the craziest, funniest, greatest things that I've ever seen you do when you were helping me hire in my very early days 
is Lori will sit there and ask these questions very calmly and tell me about this and tell me about that. And the interview is going on and on. And then she'll go ahead and ask the exact same question that she asked like three questions ago. And, and the first time she did it, I was like, she's senile. Like, (laughs) is she crazy? She just asked the question, but I'm sitting there and I'm just observing, right? I'm acting like I, you know, everything's fine, but my brain is like, she insane. And then I, and then the other person would respond. And then later I asked Lori, what are you doing? Like you asked the same question, like, are you aware of that? And she goes, oh yes, I did that on purpose. And so can you just share what is it that you're looking for when you are being super annoying? (laughs) (laughs) So when I am being super annoying, what I am looking for is to see how that person responds by being asked the same thing a second time, a third time. Sometimes even a fourth time. Oh my God. The fourth time I was like, Lori, (laughs) I didn't say anything. And sometimes I ask the question exactly the same. Sometimes I change up the wording a little bit, but it's the same question. And um, the the job that I spoke about earlier and where um, I was, my manager had complained about me, the part of the interviewing process was almost every five minutes the VP, somebody knocked on the VP's door. I'm so sorry. I know you're interviewing, but I need you right away. That was part of like that was staged. I did not know that it was staged, <clears throat> and the and they were looking specifically to this was an environment that was incredibly fast paced. It involved a lot of multitasking, and what they were looking for was to see if I kept my train of thought, my composure, and or did I get annoyed. And so some people did, you know, and, um, and obviously I passed that part of it because they hired me. And so there's, there is a reason behind that madness. And it's very important because you really want to ferret that out. If I am someone, if I couldn't multitask, if I needed to be able to get my task done, start my next project, that would not have been an environment for me, even though I had the right background and the right mm-hmm. skill sets, it would not have been a personality fit for me. Right. And so what you were looking for is, was a person saying, like I said, or like I just said, yeah. or losing it and mm-hmm. being like, is she crazy? Yeah. Like she just asked me this. Yeah. Obviously that's a person that has a, I don't want to say personality disorder, but like a personality red flag that they likely are not patient and that's actually how they would be with a client. If a client Mm -hmm. was asking for, which happens all the time, like the client loses the email, they're asking, I'm so sorry, please send it to me again. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, it's important to look for soft skills as well as hard skills. Yes. And people lie on their resume all the time and they lie in interviews all the time. Um, Can you give some... uh, best practices for identifying deception? The the best practices are, is, you know, if you do an initial phone screen and you ask some basic questions and try to get a feel for what they've done and what their resume says. You know what their resume says. Don't ask them to repeat what their resume says. Okay. Ask them a couple of questions that, uh, you know, a real life scenario and uh, of the environment that they were in mm. or you know did a what you know what project are you particularly proud of what was your role in that project 
because a, a lot of times what happens and what you see on resumes are the full scope of a project. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a, a $2 million project and there were these multiple pieces. That person's role could have been one small part mm-hmm. of that project. And yeah, they did a great job, but you but might not have capable of you doing might the have, whole thing. Yeah, you might have a different impression that mm-hmm. they led the entire project. Sometimes were you part of the brainstorming on that project, part of the planning on that project, or were you carrying out the tasks on that project? And and again, I go back to it. It's not a wrong or right answer. It's just we're just trying to figure out what you have done to fit in with what our current needs are. Coming from a candidate perspective, so many times they think if they don't present themselves as the person who did it all, they're not going to get hired. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that motivation is out of fear. Mm -hmm. And it's setting up an environment. I like like interviews to be kind of pleasantly tough, if you will. You want to ask tough questions, but at the same time, uh, unless you know, you're hiring for certain professions um, where you have to do a really aggressive interview, I want that person to be able to shine and not be intimidated in the interview, and I want them to talk mm-hmm. to me. I want to learn and understand who they are and to see if it's a right fit. And, I mean, the most expensive person we will ever hire no matter what business we are in, is the person we fire. And we hire, we hire the wrong person, and that's going to be very, very costly to our business. And the, it, it could, and in some cases, it could even destroy marketplace competitiveness. So it's so important to hire that right person. And we want to make sure we're getting that information, that we're not talking to them too much, and which interviewers tend to do, and the we want that candidate to talk, we want to listen, we want to have prepared questions, and we want to have consistent questioning across candidates so that we can compare apples to apples. When we've talked too much, I mean, one, one thing that's going to happen is either we're immediately going to think, oh, they're just like me, they're great, and we will miss the red flags, mm-hmm. or something that's different is going to stick out yeah. and we might not hire a tremendous candidate. Uh, that's a common mistake that people make. They go, I really like this person and they like the person because they're just like them. Yes. And we don't want that. No, <laughs> that's not right. That is um, going too much by the gut and not using your brain in hiring. Besides you want people that, make up for your own weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to be surrounded with people just like you. You want that variety. It, it's so important. The and, mosaic. And yes, the mosaic. <laughs> yes, it's a perfect Diversity. word. Diversity. Yes, it's, it's, so, it's, it's key. It is really key. And, you know, I want people around me that make up for my weaknesses. Yeah. And, and, and none of us, we're, we're not perfect. Right. And so the more talent we have around us, it works. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to firing, firing should never come to a surprise to the person that's being fired. 
Can you give us some some best practices for firing people when they're not working out? Generally, the employee is the first one to know it's not working and because they're not happy and they're frustrated or experiencing different things that is negative for them. I would assume they're receiving and, negative feedback and, from their manager or their superior. And, and they may not be. And uh, if they have a manager that's really not comfortable getting feedback, however, we're people, we're, we're intuitive to our surroundings mm -hmm. and we kind of know when something's happening. And so it's very rare when somebody is terminated that they would be completely surprised. They might be completely surprised if they haven't been getting coached and if they, they themselves know they're not doing the job, but if they're not getting coached, oh, they must not realize I'm not doing my job well, mm -hmm. you know, and I can get away with slacking off or whatever. But generally, they'll know. They, they know something's not right. And when it comes to, when, it's hit, when it has reached the level that we want to terminate an employee, um, that's never an easy thing to do. But that termination meeting, the decision has been made. It's not the time to start giving them a performance review. And that's a mistake I see a lot. And it's not open for discussion at this point. It's... This is done. Because the other person starts to plead. Yeah. They start to the, plead. They can plead. They can cry. You know, I promise it, I'll do better. Yeah. And, but at this, at this point, we've already made that decision. This is not. Negotiable. This is not, not a for discussion. Yeah. So that termination meeting should not turn into an hour long performance review. It's not a performance review. It's the termination meeting. And, but at the same time, while terminations are hard, you still want that person to leave with dignity and respect and, and, and never, never fire on a Monday or a Friday. <laughs> so Tuesday, Wednesday, roles. or Thursday, watch out. Yes, <laughs> unless unless something um, you know horrific occurred that you have to terminate on the spot, kind of thing. Um, you really don't because you want that person to um, be able to have resources available if they are um, uh, if they need to. You know, you never know how somebody's going to react emotionally. Someone could be, you know, really quiet in the termination, and an hour later, and two two days later, very angry. Mm -hmm. And um, I I once set up a meeting with an employee to um, on a Friday afternoon to let them know they were being promoted. We had been interviewing for um, the position, and and she was the one we chose. And I thought, what better way than to tell her before she goes home on Friday night that she's getting promoted. However, what I didn't know was the organization that she came from always set up meetings with employees at 4 o'clock on Friday to terminate. And so she freaked out when I set up this meeting for 4 o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. And I had to tell her early she was getting promoted. And uh, the so you just you don't know, but it's you know you just one if you terminate late on a Friday, it's man they got this last week out of me and they got every last drop of blood, and 
and to you ruin their weekend and and it, it ruins their weekend there's no and you know if they need uh, uh um professional counseling there there's no one available to help them these those places are closed That's right and um and in monday and on a monday i it's just it just starts their week off on yeah. a, on such a downgrade so really unless there's an extent extenuating mitigating circumstance where you have to fire on the spot for a planned termination i would not do it on right. a Monday or a Friday. Lori, your website is heartofhr.com. Yes. We made that website for you a bajillion years ago. Yes, you did. And you're still using it. I love my website. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> well, if you ever need a refresh or an update, just let us know and I, we'll hook you up. I would be happy to do that. You would be my first phone call. Good, good, good. That's what you better say. All right. And so how, what's the best number to reach you if a business owner just needs some guidance and help with their, their HR needs? Um, I, my mobile is 813-495-3446. My office number is 813-315-3883. And you are Lori Goldsmith. Are you on LinkedIn? Yes. Okay, so you're on LinkedIn, Lori Goldsmith, Heart of HR Services. Heart of HR Shared Services. Why shared? And 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 that that comes from the model to let small businesses know that they are part of a bigger picture that I'm working with a variety of companies and in a sense they're sharing in that cost. Okay. Like a fractional yes. HR person. Mm -hmm. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful truth bombs and wisdom bombs uh, with all of our listeners. I really appreciate it. I learned so much from you. And I invite anybody that has HR-related questions. Lori is a fabulous shared HR professional for multiple businesses with a ton of experience. She was referred to me by a mentor uh, that I that I kind of um, kind of latched onto that also runs a professional services uh, marketing PR type uh, for many years ago, and I have maintained a very good friendship uh, and professional relationship with Lori, and I highly recommend her. Thank you so much, Lori, for being here today. Nicole, thank you so much for having me. It's great, and I'm always happy to help. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can be notified of new episodes where we discuss business, marketing, and peek under the hood of successful companies to understand the leadership behind the organization and best practices for today's challenges. I'm your host, Nicole Alisea, founder and president of Brand Envy, an integrated global marketing communications firm based in sunny Tampa Bay. Learn more at createbrandenvy.com. Thanks for listening to Create Brand Envy. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Brand Envy is an integrated marketing and advertising agency that helps brands innovate while maintaining their focus and identity. To learn more or to get in touch with Nicole, visit createbrandenvy.com. That's createbrand and the letters envy.com. We'll see you next time.